The following message by Pastor Scott is brought to you by Together in Christ. If you would, go ahead and open your Bibles to the book of Philemon. And uh, if you have trouble finding Philemon, because it can be a little difficult to find, it's probably only one page long. It is right before the book of Hebrews. And so it might be easier to find the book of Hebrews and then turn to the beginning and you'll find Philemon. Like I said, it's only one chapter, and Philemon's a little unique in scriptures in the New Testament because there's very few books that are just one chapter. There's like Second and Third John, there's Jude. And most of the time, when we're thinking about like what you're wanting to read next in your personal devotions or maybe what you're wanting to do for your next study, you might not think of a place like Philemon or Jude or one of the other letters because we tend to think wrongly that because it's shorter, it must not be as important. Or because it's shorter, it might not have as much significance uh, theologically or for my life or practical advice or things like that. And, uh, and so to be honest with you, I've been a Christian for, I think, about 15 years now. And I have been regularly attending Sunday morning services, um, Bible studies, youth group uh, I've been to many, many conferences, and I honestly don't think I've ever heard a sermon from Philemon. That's not to say it hasn't happened. It's just to say I have not personally heard any kind of teaching or study done from Philemon. Uh, I'm glad that our Sunday school class that I'm a part of, we recently studied through Jude, which is a, a one-chapter book, and I loved it. It was encouraging the times that I was able to be there. But so honestly, tonight, I was told by Pastor Tim, hey, you've got three weeks to preach in November leading up to our pie fellowship. And I was like, okay, well, I usually enjoy actually going through a book of the Bible sequentially. I'm not, I'm not a big on topics. I'm not that creative of a person. And so I like to do that, but I didn't want to choose a big book that has a lot of different things that I wouldn't be able to get to. So Philemon was a good choice. And I like the challenge of preaching through and teaching through and studying for myself, something that I've never really been taught before. And so what I hope for us to do over the next three weeks is to mine for treasures in the book of Philemon because they're there and it's encouraging and I think it will enrich your faith and help you grow. So if you would pray with me before we dive into our text tonight. Heavenly Father, we do come to you now and we dedicate this time to opening your word and not only opening a book, Lord, but I pray that you would open our hearts, that we would be ready and willing to receive what you would tell us, what you would teach us, Lord, especially me, most of all, what you would lead me to do, how you would have me grow, how you would have me pray, what you would have me be like after the image of your son, so, Lord, would you allow us to do that tonight as we open your word? I pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Philemon is not only different from other books in the New Testament because of how short it is. It's also different because of the way it's written and who it's written to. It's written by Paul. So if you would read with me just the first couple of verses, verses 1 through 3. It says, Paul, a prisoner for Christ Jesus and Timothy, our brother, to Philemon, our beloved fellow worker, 
and Epipha, our sister, and Archippus, our fellow soldier, and the church in your house. Grace to you and peace from God, our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. This letter was written by Paul, and he wrote much of the New Testament. A lot of them letters, you might be familiar with them, so like Galatians, that Pastor Tim's been leading us through on Sunday mornings, it's a letter written by Paul. But Philemon's different than a lot of other Paul's letters, not just because of its length, but like I said, because of who it's written to. Right there in verse one, it says, to Philemon, our fellow worker. It's to Philemon, and the two names that are listed after that, they're a little difficult to pronounce, you might have noticed. Uh, it's believed that those are just two people that are part of Philemon's household. It might be his wife, another family member, or maybe just another ministry worker that's there. And we saw, too, that there's also a church that meets in his house. But everywhere else in the book of Philemon, when Paul is referring to the person that he's writing to, it's to a singular individual, a single person. And so unlike Romans that was written to a a whole church or like the book of Titus that was written to an individual, but a very specific way of, you know, there were pastoral advice tidbits that Paul had for his disciple. Um, This book is actually written more from a friend to a friend. And that's Paul's heart as he's writing this is from a friend to a friend. It's not a theological treatise like Romans might be. He's not dealing with a list of concerns in a church like he would be in, say, like 1 Corinthians. And he's not giving pastoral advice to a disciple of his. He has a request from a friend to a friend. And that's how we should approach this book. But even though this is different than many of Paul's other letters, He does something at the very beginning that he does in most of his other letters. Before he gets into what he's gonna deal with, before he starts leading them through this, before he starts trying to explain something for them to understand, Paul stops and he prays for them. And before we really dive into the meat of Philemon tonight, I want us to press pause and just look at the way that Paul prayed for his brother Philemon this morning. And so let's read verses four through seven. He says, I thank my God always when I remember you in my prayers, because I hear of your love and of the faith that you have towards the Lord Jesus and for all the saints. And I pray that the sharing of your faith may become effective for the full knowledge of every good thing that is in us for the sake of Christ For I have derived much joy and comfort from your love, my brother, because the hearts of the saints have been refreshed through you. As we consider Paul's prayer this morning, I think it's important to just lay out this at the beginning, just to think about what place prayer has in our lives as Christians. I don't think that this is an overstatement when I say this, that the most important discipline a Christian can have is prayer. In the Gospels, we have a continual example of the place of prominence and importance that daily prayer can have in our lives as we observe and we see how Christ prays. But before I go any further, uh, if you're like me, Anytime you've ever heard a sermon on prayer 
or that you know that this is where this is going, probably what you do is you buckle down and you brace for impact because you know that probably what is about to come your way is a guilt trip about how you don't pray enough or about how you don't pray long enough or how you're not a prayer warrior like you need to be or something like that. I just wanna put you at ease because I don't want you to tune me out. I don't want you to think you know where we're going tonight because it's probably not where you think we are. But I don't want you to tune this out. This is not a sermon meant to guilt you into the fact that you should pray more. That's not what it is. In fact, I have a theory. My theory is this, is that if you don't pray as often as you think you should, it might be because you don't know what to pray. Our lack of time spent in prayer is often because we simply don't know what to pray for. And if we knew what to pray, we would probably do it more often or more intentionally, more intently. And so what I want to do as we have read now and are gonna go through this prayer of Paul, I just want us to simply ask the question, what is the content of Paul's prayer? What is it that he saw as important enough to pray for for his friend Philemon? That's what I want us to consider What is it that we should pray for? That's one of the reasons I'm so encouraged that um, on Wednesday nights, the prayer meeting, uh, those that are meeting for that, uh, the prayer meeting that happens on Wednesday nights, they're going through Don Whitney's book, Praying the Bible. And the purpose of doing that is simply this. If you don't know what to pray, or if you don't even know how to pray, there's something very simple you can do. Go to the Bible. There are prayers recorded everywhere in the Bible and you can read those and you can just use those as a template that you can, okay, well, this says this, I'm just gonna pray this. And I know what they're doing on Wednesday nights is they're going through the Psalms. They'll read a Psalm and they'll basically use that as a template of what to pray. This is what we should pray right now. And so if you yourself wish that you were a better prayer or maybe more consistent or you might wanna know more, what to pray, if you don't know what to pray, you can really learn by going to that Wednesday night prayer meeting. It can be really beneficial to you. But another thing that you can do other than going to the Psalms, another place in scripture are places like this where we can see what is it that Paul prayed for? What did he think was important to pray for? What was worthy of his time to pray for? He had a friend, what did he pray for them? There's a church, how should you pray for a church? That's what I hope to do tonight. Let's look and see what he prayed for. And then let's try to imitate that for ourselves. In this prayer, there are basically two parts, two things, two major sections that he prayed for. Number one, Paul prayed with thanksgiving to God. And then number two, Paul had a request of God. He prayed with thanksgiving and then he had a request. So he prayed with thanksgiving. Well, what was it that he was thankful for? Look at verse four with me. I thank my God always when I remember you in my prayers. Why? Why is he thankful to God? Verse five, because I hear of your love and of the faith that you have towards the Lord Jesus and for all the saints. There are two characteristics that define Philemon and that Paul is grateful for the faith that he has in Christ and the love that he has for all the saints. These are two characteristics that are intertwined with one another. They don't separate from each other. 
You cannot say that you have a faith in Christ, yet you do not love the saints. Those do not go hand in hand because Jesus loves the saints. And you cannot fabricate a love for the saints without a faith in Christ. It will be a fabricated love for them. It will be a malnourished love, an incomplete love that you have for the saints. These two things go hand in hand together. They are one thing that works together. And you'll see how that works out more as we continue going through this. Love towards fellow believers is an outpouring of your faith in Christ. It is a result of a changed heart that you have to where now you are adopted into God's family and you have a love for these people. Jesus said that the identifiable marker of those who follow him is that they follow his example of loving them. John 13, 34 through 35 says, a new commandment I give to you, that you love one another, just as I have loved you. Also you are to love one another. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples, if you have love for one another. In much the same way, in 1 Corinthians chapter 13, verses one through three, if you wanna turn there with me. Paul, in the midst of writing to the Corinthian church, tells them that the defining characteristic of them as a church should be the love that they have for one another. And that if they don't have it, they have nothing. Notice he's not writing to a married couple right here. He's writing to a church. And he says this, this is what a church should be like with each other. In chapter 13, verse one of 1 Corinthians, if I speak in the tongues of men and of angels, but have not love, I am a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. And if I have prophetic powers and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have all faith so as to remove mountains, but have not love, I am nothing. If I give away all I have, and if I deliver up my body to be burned, but have not love, I gain nothing. You want to know what that means? Let me just be very practical for you in Roman Missionary Baptist Church. We could be a church with the most theologically sound preaching in our county. We could have the most robust discipleship structures of any church in our state. We could have the most committed membership of any church in our local Baptist association. We could have the most sound evangelistic strategies to reach the lost in our community. But if we are not a people that are characterized first and foremost by the love of Christ, the one thing that we could not be defined as is Christ-like. Because that was the defining characteristic Jesus gave us to be identified as his people was love. It was not theological soundness. It was not robust discipleship. It was not evangelistic. It was love. If we are to be a Christ-like church, we must be defined by how we love people. Now, I wanna take a step back because some of you might be getting a little iffy here because unfortunately, love is a word that has truly been hijacked 
by our culture. And you hear often of, well, I think we're just supposed to love people. And I think that, you know, to truly love someone, we need to accept them for who they are or something like that. And really what that person is doing, if they say something like that, is they're using the word love to mean that you accept and you give permission for people to act and behave and to do whatever they want, right? That's not love, okay? That's not what we're talking about here. Love never lets someone continue to live in sin. That's not what love is. It's been hijacked. True love for people doesn't mean we always seek their comfort. Sometimes it means that we're actually willing to make them a little uncomfortable. So today on the way home, uh, I don't know who did this. I don't know how it happened, but my son, Nolan, discovered candy in Pastor Tim's office. It is now the fairyland of Nolan will tell me, Daddy, I love the big brown church. You'll be walking through the hallway, and that warms your heart, doesn't it? And I ask him, why do you love it so much, Nolan? Candy. That's where candy is. And today on the way home, he wanted me to drive the car that they were in to go home, and I did. And on the way home, Nolan says, Daddy, I want to eat suckers all day long. Now, you know, I mean, I said, okay, but we can't do that, Nolan. He said, but why? I said, because that's not good for you. He said, well, why? It'll make your teeth sad. He has this little brown tooth at home that's sad because he never brushes his teeth and he only eats junk, right? It would not be loving for me as a father to let my son do something that is going to end up hurting him. In the same way, we don't define love as a church to allow people to do whatever they want. This is where our commitment to Scripture and allowing the Word to define love, not our own feelings to define love, that's where it remains important and prominent. So it's not that theology and Bible study is not important. We have to let it define what love is for us. And so what's a good gauge? How do we know if we're being a loving church? How do we know if we are actually walking in step with the characteristic that Jesus said would define us as his followers? I think if we look at verse seven, we can get a pretty good indication. Verse seven says, for I have derived much joy and comfort from your love, my brother, why? Where, why is he being, why is he getting joy? Why is he getting comfort from their love? Well, it's because of the result that love is producing in the church that Philemon's connected to. Because the hearts of the saints have been refreshed through you. I think a very simple question to ask, to know if we are being a loving church, MNBC, is are the hearts of saints refreshed by being part of our fellowship? Are they refreshed? Are they renewed? Are they rejuvenated? Are they energized? A refreshing in the sense of a cool glass of water on a hot summer afternoon, which you all don't really get hot summers here, okay? You said that you do, but some of you don't know what a hot summer is. Like, like I'm sure you think I probably don't know what a cold winter is, but you know, I feel like I have to make it through a winter to be able to have kind of credibility with you all. Everybody keeps telling me winter's coming, winter's coming. It's like, you know, it does get cold in Kentucky too. 
But, uh, but, but we'll see. We'll see what happens. I might have to buy a bunch of new clothes, but we'll see. But you know what a church is like that has all of those other things but does not have love? Have you ever taken a drink of something but you thought it was gonna be something else? Like you took a drink and you thought it was water but it turned out being milk? It's not that you don't like milk. It's just that like you were expecting one thing and instead of being refreshed and cooled and rejuvenated, you are repulsed. A church that is not characterized by love is not refreshing, it's repulsive. And so let us seek to not only be a sound church and a discipling church and an evangelistic church, we must be a loving church characterized by love for one another. And that is exactly why Paul was thanking God for Philemon was because this is what characterized this man was how he had a love for the saints and it showed clearly to people. And so he praised God for that in him. And so very simply, if we are going to imitate this prayer of Paul, I just wanna ask you real fast, the people around you, I'm looking at all your faces, the people that are around you, just think about the ways that you've been refreshed by the people that are sitting around you. Maybe they encouraged you. Maybe they served you at a moment in time. Maybe they provided for you in a time of need. Maybe they just told you happy birthday when it was your birthday. Several weeks ago, I'm just gonna give you a few examples from my life. Several weeks ago, I walk in the front doors over there, start heading towards my office. I get intercepted by Joel Waters. I don't know if the Waters are in here. I don't, I don't know. But I, I got intercepted by Joel Waters and he had a jar for me and he handed me this jar and it was a jar of one of my favorite snacks. I cannot tell you how many farms and how many orchards and how many places I've been to that just have walls of pickled things, jarred things, canned things and all these other things. But the one thing I'm looking for, for some reason, you all don't eat it up here. You're a bunch of weirdos. <laughs> I cannot find pickled okra anywhere. And if you know where it is, you need to find, you need to tell me where the stash is. But he remembered that I had been ranting about that one day and he brought me a jar of pickled okra because they were some in way off far distant land and saw it and he bought some and he brought it to me and said, hey, I remembered you said you'd like this. Here's some pickled okra. And I opened it and I ate some. <laughs> but like something as small as that, that was refreshing to me because it told me that my brother in Christ and this whole family, they remember me when they're out and about. They see something, it reminded them of me, but not only were they thinking of me, they were kind enough to spend their money on me and to give it to me as a free gift without anything in return. And that was just encouraging to me. It wasn't the okra, it was the thought behind the gift. That's mostly what gifts are for us, right? It's not the gift itself, it's the thought behind the gift. Let me give you another example though, one that's a little bit deeper and more spiritual. Last week, when we were in here and Pastor Matt led us in a great sermon, but we were led in worship by Scott Ely. I was amazed by his leadership in that. The songs that were chosen, the, the rich deepness of, that sounded weird, but the, the deep richness, there you go, of the lyrics that we sang and the truth that we were proclaiming together as a church just 
encouraged me to be reminded of the gospel in the words that we were singing. But what encouraged me even more than that is that where I was sitting over there, that I was surrounded by brothers and sisters in Christ and all of them were singing and I could hear them singing. And it was like, I wasn't just singing by myself and I wasn't just listening to Scott sing by himself, but we were all part of one big choir and we were singing together and I was just pumped, man. I felt like I was in an arena with like 10,000 people and I was ready to go and I was like, oh man, heaven is gonna be great if we're gonna be doing anything like this. But it was so encouraging because we joined together in song to worship our God. And there wasn't even that many people here but it was encouraging and my heart was refreshed because our church loves Christ. Not only do we love preaching about Christ and learning about Christ, we love singing to him and worshiping him and being part of that as a fellowship with you is encouraging to me. And so you, as you pray, I just want you to seriously think through the people that you're sitting in a pew with or sitting around you in a pew and just ask the question, how have they encouraged me? How have they blessed me? How have I been refreshed? And then your task is to thank God for them. It's that simple. But then Paul has a request for Philemon as he's praying for him. Verse six And I pray that the sharing of your faith may become effective for the full knowledge of every good thing that is in us for the sake of Christ. Now, I'm gonna be honest with you. As I was preparing this week, I used several commentaries as I was studying and and getting ready for this. And every single one of the commentaries I read said pretty much unanimously that verse six of Philemon is by far the most difficult verse in the whole book to interpret. And it might not seem like that on the front end, but uh, let me explain something to you. And I try not to get too terribly technical in my sermons because I don't wanna lose you. Um, But we need to, when it comes to this verse, to properly understand what it means. If we just look at this verse and read it in a straightforward way, Verse six, and I pray that the sharing of your faith may become effective, on and on and on. What it initially sounds like, based on, and I'm using the English standard version. If you're using a different version, yours might say something totally different. But the reason it does is because this verse, the structure of the sentence in the original language of Greek is very difficult to put together and to figure out what words go with what and what does this mean here and how does this work there. And so if you were to take multiple versions of scripture and set them side by side by side, you would get all kinds of different readings of how this verse is laid out. It's difficult to interpret. So I just want us to kind of walk through it before we really try to apply it to ourselves to make sure that we have a good understanding of this. If you just read it straightforward, at least if you're using the version that I have, it seems like Paul is is praying that Philemon's evangelism would be effective. When he says, and I pray that the sharing of your faith, to us, many times we say that phrase, 
hey, I shared my faith with so-and-so person, or I hope to share my faith with this person here soon, or something like that. And we mean that in terms of, I hope to give my faith or present my faith to this person so that they might believe this same faith and accept this same faith. That, however, that word share in the Greek and the way that Paul uses it, the rest of places in scripture that he does It's not sharing in a sense of, I want to give you something. It is sharing in the sense of fellowship. The word is koinonia. It's sharing in a sense of take part in. I want to take part in this with you is what he means. So to give you an example, Philippians chapter three, verse 10 says that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and may share in his sufferings becoming like him in death. That word share there is the same word that's used here in Philemon by the same author. And so it's not like there in Philippians, obviously Paul's not trying to say, I want to share, I I want you to share in Christ's sufferings. I'm going to make you suffer with Christ. That's not what he means. He's talking about sharing in a sense of participating in the faith And so as he goes, and I pray that the sharing of your faith, the participation of the faith, your presence in this faith may become effective. That word effective needs to be our next point of focus. What's what's he want to happen? He wants Paul's sharing in, participating in this faith to cause something. He wants it to do something. He wants it to lead to something. What is it that Paul wants this participation in the faith to do in Philemon's life? Well, he says it very next. Be effective for the full knowledge of every good thing that is in us for the sake of Christ. So we've gotten the sharing going. We know he wants it that sharing in the faith to affect something, to produce something, and what he wants it to produce is to the full knowledge of every good thing that is in us. Well, what does he mean by that? What is the full knowledge of every good thing? That word knowledge is in the sense of the word, and again, in the original text. I know I'm pretty technical, but we have to be for a verse that's this difficult to understand at times, is a sense of not just knowing a set of facts, but it is knowing something and acting on that thing. It is having knowledge that changes the way that you live, that leads to something. It's not just random information that's not good for anything. It is receiving something that now changes you. We normally learn things like that by our experiences and by things that we observe. So just as another example with my son, Nolan. I can tell my son all I want to, that it is a good thing for him to give people gifts. But he will not understand truly that it is a good thing to give other people gifts until he himself has participated in the giving of a gift and he's received a gift that he loves and that is great and brings him such joy and happiness And it won't be complete until he then is able to follow that example and himself give someone a gift that they truly enjoy and he's able to see the joy and the pleasure on their face and be able to share that enjoyment with them. He gains it by experience. 
Paul wants this fellowship and participation of the faith to do something in Philemon's life. And what he wants it to do is not for him to be filled with this, all this knowledge and information. No, Paul wants Philemon to grow and to change, to be changed by what he knows and learns in being part of this community of faith. He wants him to be sanctified. There's nothing wrong with having technical knowledge about scripture. In fact, I think you should, as much as you can, try to gain technical knowledge about scripture. There's tons of resources out there that you can use that are available to that for you. We need more scholars. We need more able Bible teachers in this church, but not at the expense of holiness. You don't look like Christ because of what you know. You look like Christ because of the way that you live. That's what Paul wanted for Philemon. He didn't want him to be puffed up with knowledge. He wanted him to look like Christ. That's why he says, for the sake of Christ, at the end of verse six, in the sense that Christ is our example. Christ is our object. He is, this is what we're shooting for. This is what we want to look like. Not just to be puffed up with knowledge, but to be changed into the image of Christ. 1 Corinthians 1.8 says that knowledge puffs up, but love builds up. That's very much the spirit of this verse. The scholar Doug Moo has a very helpful paraphrase of this verse, just to kind of summarize what we've been through in verse six. And it goes like this. It's as if Paul was saying this, Philemon, I'm praying that the mutual participation that arises from your faith in Christ might become effective in leading you to understand and put into practice all the good that God wills for us that is found in our community and to do all this for the sake of Christ. Being part of this church is supposed to change you. It's supposed to lead to something happening in your life. When you become a Christian, you are adopted into God's family and that is supposed to result in a changed life and a changed heart in you, to where all of these things now apply to you and the rest of your walk with Christ is you being sanctified and changing and growing to where now you are living and you're gaining a full knowledge into that. And so let's think about how this applies to us practically for just a second here. So when you pray for your brothers and your sisters in Christ, you need to pray that they would grow Don't just thank God for the good that you see in them already. Pray that they would grow into all that is good and all that is available to us. And their true identity is in Christ. It says that our life is hidden with Christ in God. And so what it is for you to be a part of this church for the rest of your life or whatever church you go to for the rest of your life is to be continually growing into who you are in Christ. That's how you pray. Do you realize that this is how we as your pastors pray for you every day, every week? If I'm preparing a message or Tim is preparing a message or as Matt is preparing our songs that we're gonna be going through or even as he's preparing his sermon that he would preach, what I'm doing is I am looking at these deep truths of scripture that I want you to apply to your life and my prayer is 
God, would you help them see the truth of this? Not just so that they can know it, but so that they can live it. So that you can be changed, so that you can do this. I think that there's a couple of things that we have to notice if that's actually going to happen. Number one, that kind of growth only happens in the context of the local church. He said that the sharing of your faith, the participation of your faith, you can't participate in the faith if you're not in the faith community. A tree will not grow if it's not in the soil that it is designed to grow in. A Christian is designed to grow within the context and the fellowship of a local church. And if you remove yourself from that context, you won't grow. A Christian that is outside regular, ongoing, committed fellowship in the church will experience stunted growth, malnourishment, and you will produce little fruit in your life. You need good soil to grow. But it's not just that you need good soil, you need God. It is God that makes this growth happen. After all, Paul is praying that this would happen. He says, and I pray that this would happen for you. This kind of growth is not up to you. It's not up to me. It's not up ultimately to your church. In 1 Corinthians 3, 6, Paul says, I planted, Apollos watered, but God gave the growth. It's up to God to do this. Let me just ask you this question. Are there people here that are a part of this church? So not necessarily like in the service, but are there people that are a part of this church that you've witnessed doing things or saying things and it just makes you think, I, you know, I, just, I, I don't think they should say that or I don't think they should do that or man, that, does, that doesn't seem to be very Christ-like of them or that just doesn't seem like they have the right attitude about this or about that or whatever. Have you stopped to consider that maybe the reason they say things like that or they do things like that is because this hasn't happened for them yet. Because they have yet to grow to the full knowledge of every good thing that is in us for the sake of Christ. They simply haven't matured to that place yet. They haven't started living in that truth as a believer just yet. And so what they need from you is not your criticism and not your judgment. They need your prayers. They need you to pray for them. And so if we're gonna follow this model of Paul's prayer here at the beginning of Philemon, I think here's a very simple way that we can do that. Let's first be thankful for one another. Think about ways that you have blessed each other and praise God that that happened. Praise God that he's put you in a church that he has. But then at the same time, pray that those things would just continue to grow, that they would become greater, that you would experience more and more and more that your brothers and your sisters around you by being, simply by being a part of this church would grow in, to all of the good things that we have in Christ and pray for them in that way because of the joy and of the comfort that we can receive from one another's love and the refreshment 
that we can receive from one another's love. So if you want to know how to pray for your fellow church members, pray like that. Let's pray like that for one another. Pray with me now. Heavenly Father, we do thank you for your word. God, I thank you for this church, for the people that are here. Lord, there are so many different ways that me and my family have been blessed and refreshed and encouraged by the people who are here, Lord. I thank you for their love that is motivated by their faith in Christ. Lord, I thank you that this is a church that exemplifies what it is to be a follower of Christ, not just by being committed to your word and passionate about growing in our faith, but God, that we are committed to love one another. Lord, would you help us love one another all the more? Lord, I pray that just by being part of this fellowship together, Lord, that we would continue to grow. God, that you would help us sanctify one another through our prayers and through our encouragement, through our admonitions to one another. God, that we would seek to be more like Christ as the body of Christ. And Lord, I pray that our joy and our refreshment would pour over, Lord, to others, that we would be a shining city on a hill, a light that is set on a stand, salt that has not lost its saltiness, so that people can look and that we can glorify you, that all of this would be for the sake of Christ, for his name. Lord, we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. You have been listening to a message by Pastor Scott from Together in Christ. This content has been provided to you by Monroe Missionary Baptist Church. For more information, visit us online at mmbconline.org.